Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello. Howdy do. Welcome in. Shalom. <laughs> that's that's so nice and so very W. Uh, Evan just made his way back from uh, Minneapolis. I just made my way back from vacation in San Diego. And David Moore, where are you coming from? Why did you introduce Evan first? <laughs> I knew that somebody, someone's always bitter about this, who, who gets introduced first. One Plus or the other is always I don't know we can recover. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is in a tone. Well, We're I returned from 27 in. days in training camp. 27 days in training camp. You know, Oxnard, you love training Denver, camp. back to Oxnard, Irvine, L.A., then back. You, you, you were not ever here uh, in between any of those stops? I was not, no. Wow, look at you. Road warrior. <laughs> of course, now, now you'll travel, what, about uh, 12 days the rest of this calendar year, and then that'll be it? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That'll be it. <laughs> That's good. Well, you got it all out of the way. The way, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, a lot's happened while we've been out. Uh, the, the Rangers, we're glad that they could uh, give us something to talk about because otherwise we wouldn't have had a lot to talk about with the Rangers. But they. Yeah, John they, Daniels is very glad that the Rangers gave us something to talk about here. Yeah. Fired a manager, fired a general manager. That's uh, I, When's the last time that happened, Evan? Do you know? Uh, when a team fired two guys no. and two. No, when the Rangers fired both their general manager and manager in the same year. Uh, I think that would be probably 82. Really? No, it would have been 94, I think. And that's when... Who, oh, that's, that's when, when Tom Greve was, was fired and uh, Kevin Kennedy was let go. And then they brought in Doug Melvin and Johnny Oates. Yeah, that's right. That's, they did do that. I remember that now. Very, that's that's a, a groundbreaking event, and we were we were interested in seeing that. I did not see that coming. Uh, frankly, I'm not sure I saw either one of them coming. Uh, I, I didn't think that there was a good chance uh, that Chris Woodward would become or still be the manager in 2023, but I thought that John Daniels would still be here. I didn't think that was going to be a question, uh, and that raises a lot of questions about – uh, what we thought all along about uh, John's relationship uh, with Ray Davis, the, the, the owner, uh, principal owner. Uh, I don't know that it, it, I don't know that it means that they, they, were, they were on the outs. I think it just meant that Ray Davis was just kind of fed up with losing. Don't you, Evan? I, I'm still struggling to figure out exactly what the motivation was here. Um, whether Ray Davis was trying to send a message to fans um, or to send a message to the rest of the organization, all of which was pretty much hired by John Daniels, or if it was some combination of the two. I, 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 Ray's explanation is that he had kind of contemplated this over the last couple months, but I think it was also very well assumed throughout all of baseball that John Daniels with John Daniels contract being up at the end of this year, he would very likely step back into a more advisory role and that he would hand over the reins to, to Chris Young on a daily basis. So the timing of it just doesn't, it, 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 it just strikes you as weird still a, a week later because I, I'm not sure what the necessity of doing it exactly when you did it is. 
All that said, Kevin, and I we've said this as the Dallas Morning News has gone through rounds of layoffs and we've seen our friends laid off over the years, there's no good way to do a firing. Um, there's different degrees of bad, but there's no good way to decide you're going to make a change. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I will say this, and I, and I plan on, uh, I have to get this uh, approved by my boss first, but I was kind of planning on writing something about the fact that Ray Davis, in, in my time in, in at the Dallas Morning News, which since 1985, is the most reclusive owner that the Rangers have had in all that time period. Uh, I, I don't know Ray Davis at all. I, I barely even had a conversation with him. Uh, and, and I know you are probably as close to him as anybody in this market uh, is. And uh, so I don't have an idea of, of why he wanted to do any of this. People would ask me all the time, what is it that, that John Daniels has on Ray Davis and all the silly stuff you always hear uh, about someone when you want to get them fired. Uh, I got the impression anyway, from, from Davis's press conference that he is playing to the fans a little bit here. Uh, he, you know, he's got this brand new stadium that he was hoping to make a lot of money off of. Uh, the attendance is down, uh, and it was down over the weekend, even after the, the firing of, of Chris Woodward. Uh, yes, but they had a nice crowd for Def Leppard, Poison, and uh, Joan Jett last night, and I'm sure they'll have a nice one for Lady Gaga tonight, and probably for a bar mitzvah on Saturday. Oh, yeah, so he's making plenty of money off this. Of those? Yeah, that's right. We'll be. I, I have my tickets. Please? Yeah. Yeah, the special events center that the uh, that the new ballpark is is. But certainly I, Kevin, to your point, I think I mean I think the events that led up to the firing, and I don't know that they're connected, but they certainly do paint kind of a picture, right? That on Saturday night of last week, the Rangers had their Hall of Fame induction, and John came out onto the field um, and was booed by the small smattering of, cra- of of a crowd that was there at that point in time. Uh, Chris Young followed him out onto the field, and he was cheered. It was certainly noticeable. Um, on Monday morning, J.D. And, and, and Chris Young walk in and, and make a recommendation to fire Chris Woodward. And then Monday evening, the Rangers uh, draw their smallest paid attendance since uh, the ballpark opened, 13-141 against Oakland. You know, coincidentally, it's Oakland, a team that never draws – on a Monday, which is the worst day of the week, and it happens to be the first Monday of, of school. So all of that was kind of a confluence of things. But I think it you, you look at those, and if you're Ray Davis and you've made up your mind that you're going to make a change at the end of the year, maybe you say to yourself, let's go ahead and do it now so that we can also send a message to the fans that, no, this isn't, this isn't acceptable. Yeah, I don't doubt that that's probably possible uh, in all of this uh, reckoning. You know, listen, there are reasons to fire John Daniels. I mean, and and the number one reason is because they simply have not produced talent uh, from their farm system, you know, and and that's that in in and of itself was reason enough to fire him. After all this time, you can talk about the, the draft picks they've just made and the fact that it's a little ironic that they were just ranked number six in the nation, I guess, by, was it Baseball America or, uh, that, that came up with that? Uh, in, yeah, in, in yeah. MLB. well, uh, the, the it, MLB Pipeline did their top 30, uh, I think, yesterday, and uh, the Rangers were six there, too. So they're a top 10 organization in terms of talent, no matter who's ranking them right now. Yeah, uh, but that's, you know, uh, you can – 
I, I could point to the fact that yes, they they are they uh, they appear to be on the rebound from where they were, but it's been a, you know it's been a long time since 2010 2011, uh, and uh, and John was the uh, you know general manager for 17 years. That's a long time to be general manager of of, of any uh, pro sports franchise. So I'm sure he feels. I have not talked to him about it personally, and I plan to talk to him uh, uh, fairly soon. Uh, I'm sure he feels fortunate to have lasted that long uh, in the and in his position. And uh, so that's all fine. Uh, it, it just still strike. It's still striking. You know, we're still trying to put this together. Why now? Why this particular time? You knew the fans didn't like John Daniels. That's been going on for years and years and years. Well, so, I mean, you know, unfortunately, there have been people in this market who, for lack of a better term, performed character assassination on John Daniels with narratives that they created. And and that's unfortunate. Um, and you can say that, yes, this was the best general manager that the Rangers have ever had, and in the same breath say you can make a strong case that that a firing or or a non-renewal of his contract at the end of this year was in order. I Nobody can dispute what Ray Davis said in terms of the Rangers aren't good and they haven't been good in six years. Um, not, many, not many general managers are going to survive that. I just feel like uh, for people... For, for people to take joy in the guy losing his job after what he had done for the franchise, just I, that's just spoiled fandom. Um, and at the same point in time, I, I feel like that, that his, his tenure here, and, and Ray did address this during his press conference. He said, I don't think he ever fully got the credit that he probably deserved because everybody was so uh, looking elsewhere to, to hand out credit. And we know what you mean by that. Let's just settle that once and for all. Can we really about the whole uh, Nolan Ryan thing and him being responsible for for the uh, two World Series appearances because of the timing of his uh, hiring and all that kind of stuff? Do we even need to again? I mean, look, let's go look at the pieces that were here when this team went to the World Series. Michael Young was already in place long term. Josh Hamilton was traded for by um, John Daniels before Nolan Ryan ever rejoined the organization. Uh, the um, the Elvis Andrus, Matt Harrison, Neftali Feliz trade for Mark Teixeira was orchestrated by John Daniels before Nolan Ryan ever rejoined the organization. You look at the pitchers like Colby Lewis, who came back from Japan, that was a deal run by Josh Boyd and the Rangers Asian uh, Pacific Rim operations, all of which was structured and set up and pretty much monitored by John Daniels. C.J. Wilson was a draft pick under... Actually, C.J. Wilson was a draft pick under Doug Melvin. He was during Doug Melvin's last class. So uh, this notion that Nolan came in and waved a magic hand and and changed everything is just baloney. And I I feel like when I say this now, it's it's besmirching Nolan. He performed a very significant role here. He he gave this club integrity. He helped bring this ownership group to, to bear. And he he was an advocate for pitchers, but he did not construct the world championship caliber teams that the Rangers had. He just didn't. That's just the, the, the honest truth. And he never ran that show. And as much to Nolan's credit as anything, even when he was the CEO and president, he let baseball operations function 99.9% of the time as an independent arm of the, of the club. I, I find, too, I've been fascinated by this because we've spent so much time through the years talking about this relationship and, and the credit and who did what. 
I, I think it I think it also put a face on an argument that we see across sports, and this is the influence of analytics coming in. And here you had like a Texas icon and athlete against this Ivy League numbers guy, which kind of symbolized what was going on, not only in baseball, but you started to see in all the sports about this sure. time. And in a lot of ways, I, I, because I've always wondered, this this is more persistent than it should be. There there have got to be some other tentacles to this. And I really think that's it. I, I think the whole Nolan John Daniels debate has kind of has symbolized in some ways this this analytical uh which, which also, let me say, analytics has always been a part of every sport. It's just been repackaged and labeled differently. All sports use numbers. All sports follow trends. Uh, not to the extent now that they do and the, and the refinement of it, but this was all in place. And I just, I, I really seriously believe that's part of why this argument is still out there when others go, why is this even an argument? I, I think it represents more than just the Rangers and who did what. Well, well, I don't think it's, it, it, this one particular can address it, right? I mean, I don't know how you can possibly address the Nolan Ryan issue. I, the argument that you made, David, is great. But, Kevin, you, you know what Nolan has meant here and how people view him better than anybody. Yeah, you know, I once did a 27-part series on Nolan Ryan, so I consider I myself something of an expert. Um, look, the guy's a legend, an icon, uh, and I and I think he he did a lot for the franchise. And Tom Grieve will talk about that about what they what he did for the franchise. He legitimized it when they signed him as a free agent, right? But if we get right down to aside from the really exciting moments that he brought, you know, with uh, the the two no hitters and the five thousand strikeouts and the three hundredth win and all of that, that was all just great. It was all great theater. He didn't help them win any, you know, they, they still weren't a very good franchise and he, and he was hurt for a lot of that time as well. I mean, but the guy's, you know, 500 years old when he comes here, it's just, it's a, he was a marvel and it was all a lot of fun, but it didn't really contribute a whole lot to the winning of the franchise. And when he came in as the president of the franchise, it was a little bit of the same thing. It was great for the franchise from a marketing standpoint. And from a from a image standpoint and all of that, it was all really good. But for the day to day actions of the of the organization itself and what they put on the field, it just wasn't there. And I think a lot of that is, David, is what you're talking about. It, it was certainly that's part of that is true. Part of it is the fact that he's an, a, a Texas icon. And number three is that what we have found in America today is I'll believe what I want to believe. And that, that, I think, is the biggest issue in, in, involved in all of this. It, he is, uh, Nolan Ryan represents for a lot of Rangers fans, a large segment of them, the exact same thing that we have in this country today, which is that I don't care what you tell me. I have had I, countless readers write to me who are very nice to me, and I explain to them just what we've talked about, and they still persist in believing what they want to believe. Uh, and, 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 and there's no basis of a belief in that because no one inside in this organization or, or who's written about it, who knows anything about it has perpetuated the fact that that is the case, but they still want to believe it anyway. So they're just going to believe it. I just wanted us to be on the record once again in this podcast. So and I, now, I, I just want to end that with, this is not besmirching Nolan Ryan and it's not no. lauding John Daniels. They both did fine jobs and, and work together actually for five years in a really good manner. And let's just close the book that way. 
Yeah. I'm, Let's just I'm close the book by saying I don't believe either one of you. <laughs> Which is basically what a lot of these fans are saying. So anyway, uh, so let's move on here. So let's move on to the managerial side. Evan, uh, Tony Beasley is off to a fantastic start. They take three or four on the road against the Twins. Let's make Tony Beasley the manager full time. Listen, I'd be I'd be okay with that. I mean, I, I I just feel like based on Ray Davis's actions and where I feel like this club is, that it certainly seems the Rangers are going to lean towards an experienced manager because they think they've got most of the pieces in place to win. Um, they're going to finish that off this season, and they'd like to go into next year with a manager who's already made the mistakes that a first year manager inevitably will make and has some experience at winning. And there is clearly a guy out there who, if he is ready to get back into managing and has one last chapter to write, that meets all of that. And that is Bruce Bochy. Won three World Series with the San Francisco Giants, took San Diego to a World Series, and he is... Once again, Evan's phone going off in the middle of the podcast. Once again, it's fine. It's not a sports day podcast. If Evan's oh. phone's not going off or he's not opening an envelope in the middle of the, of the podcast thought, or eating something oh, or a dog's not barking, geez. if something's not going on in the background, and Evan control, Grant's, please. Oh, my gosh. Should we keep Evan, all that in? Yes, we're keeping all that in. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, listen, I mean, if, if Bochi wants to get back in, there's a, there's a great case to be made for Bruce Bochy. Um, not the least of, of which centers around the fact that Chris Young played for him in 2006. And when you start looking about at hirings and firings in this game, relationships matter. And, and, and so that's significant. I think it's very clear that Tony Beasley has brought a different perspective to the way this team is going to be handled, um, at least for the remainder of this season. And who knows what what happens here? But when you're, if the case is, do I hire a first year manager or do I hire a guy who's got three World Series and has won two thousand games and is going to go to into the Hall of Fame at some point in time? Uh, it, it's an uphill battle. So I, I told Chris Young the other day when I saw him, um, I said, I think you've got a, a, a two person list right now, and I think it's Bruce Bochy and Tony Beasley. Of course, he didn't say, well, you know what, Evan, you're right. Um, but he also didn't smack me in the face. So I, I think that's kind of where it stands. I do think the Rangers need to consider the possibility that maybe there is another experienced manager out there somewhere who may not have had success early on based on the roster that he was given, but has the ability to be a really strong manager. You know, the, the, the example I cite often is Terry Francona was kind of a failure in Philadelphia, right? Then he got a second chance in Boston and took that team to World Series after World Series. Um, is Brad Ausmus at one point in time considered the brightest star? Is he that guy? I don't know. I, I really don't. But I do think you better, in the event that this team doesn't play well and you decide you want an experienced manager uh, and, and for some reason Boji does not come here, then I think you better also have a, a secondary choice among those experienced managing group. I'll say Beasley this. has this act against him, doesn't he? I mean, coming off of 
of Chris Woodward and where they are and their development. I mean, you, we've seen the pendulum swing all the time in manager hires and coaching hires. I mean, it seems to have swung definitely in the period of you need a proven guy in here. And part of that is to convince the fan base that, okay, this is going to be different now. I mean, it's always a reaction to what went before you usually, isn't it, when when a, when a franchise is in the position the Rangers are in? Sure. Like you you heard that Chris Woodward, the 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 – the reasons that were that were given at the press conference were that things were quote unquote a little bit too loose and some things yeah. needed to be tightened up. So of course the next day all the guys go out in matching t-shirts and they're doing perform they're doing pitchers fielding practice like it's spring training. So the pendulum always swings. And that again is why I feel like in this case, you know, especially with a new general manager, the last GM had a track record of hiring first-time managers. This GM maybe comes from a different perspective and you may see uh, the Rangers go for, for a guy who is experienced and who uh, I don't want to say disciplinarian. It's just a stupid word when you're talking about grown people, but, but a guy who runs a little bit tighter clubhouse or who is able to designate somebody inside that clubhouse to kind of police it. I think it's interesting to me from the perspective of uh, Bruce Bochy is a guy, obviously highly respected in the game and did a great job with the Giants and did a good job with the Padres as well. Uh, as opposed to a first-year manager, when we look at from the perspective of who's who's potentially hiring these guys, I don't think you can rule out what happened there with John Daniels, that he hired four first-time managers. You know, he fired Buck Showalter, who was the biggest micromanager of all, uh, and, and and then he hired four guys. Three, three. He, I'm sorry, three guys. It seemed like to me who felt like I don't want guys that are challenging me. I want guys that are going to do what we tell them to do. You know, it, it just at least felt that way anyway. Now, it'd be interesting to see, as as Evan points out, uh, Chris Young was a player, you know, a pitcher. He, he was in dugouts. And he was in clubhouses. And so maybe he wants somebody that that he can respect and somebody that he thinks that the players will respect and listen to. And a presence. Uh, so, yes, and a presence. The media exactly. presence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll see how this all uh, plays out. Uh, my, my bet is if they could get Bochy, if, I could, if I'm Chris Young and I could get Bruce Bochy, I would crawl to San Diego to, to hire him. Interesting point. Yeah. Interesting point. I've been told he's not living in San Diego, which is significant because – his, if he's living in San Diego, he sure is close to Anaheim, which is going to be in the market for a manager this offseason. But uh, I believe they've been spending a lot of time in Nashville where they've got um, they've got a grandchild. So he's hmm. not even in San Diego right now, which all, all the more kind of lines up that, you know, it, it would make some sense for him to come to Texas. Um if you can if 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 you can get Bruce Bochy, I just don't know how you um how you can kind of like look away from that, um, even with whatever, however impressive Tony Beasley's last fifty games are. It's it's just it's the same thing that I think David David has encountered. The Cowboys it, we, we've used this example before, right? The Campo to Parcells example. You just if Bill Parcells is out there, how do you turn away from Bill Parcells? I don't think there's any question about any of that. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. We're going to move over down to the Cowboys. It's hard to believe that the Raiders actually could have trumped the Cowboys in headlines and, and then on this podcast, any, but that just shows you how big this was. 
firing a manager and a general manager in one week. Well, if the, gonna, if the Cowboys owner would fire the general manager, I think that would be news. With the that would be news. That would be CNN would have that as their breaking news, their lead story. I think NPR well, would, Cowboys CNN. Owner, if it know. was on CNN, though, it would be fake news. Fake news. Fake news, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, that Putin would have that as his <laughs> leading headline, Jerry Jones. You think, I, you think Putin's got, like, NFL parlays? You think he's, like, using the FanDuel's app to, to play some NFL parlays? He's not using it. He is. Uh, he, he's using it as a tool. He's a. That's. It's just one of the many ways that he has his hands in the pocket of America. You think he has a CD Lamb jersey that he wears to some of those <laughs> meetings? Yeah, I hear he's a big CD Lamb guy. Uh, all right. So, so David, uh, we, we you you broke in camp. You you've come back home. Uh, it's it's raining. We didn't even point. Yeah, that let, out. let me say something Richard about floods. that. Every time I'm out there, all I hear from people back here, oh, it's just miserable. It's the endless heat. There's no. It's so hot and dry. Oh, you're so lucky to be out there. I haven't seen the sun since I've been back. What are people? T- I I will never trust anyone again who tells me how bad the weather is. When I'm out in Southern David, California for David, four weeks. do not Never. try and play. Listen to me. Never. Listen to Never. me. I spend 40 days, like like my, like my the people 49. of my heritage. I spend 40 days every year wandering the desert of surprise. Okay? Do not come on this podcast and make yourself a victim for spending four <laughs> weeks by the beach and in the, in the marine layer and going to wonderful seafood restaurants. I do not want to hear any of that. Yeah. Evan Whatever. just complained about the food and surprise, basically. Uh, okay, so, so David. you. It's bad food. It is bad food. So the, the number one. All right, let, I'm going to ask you this now. What are the three things the Cowboys have to get done before this season starts? Why would you ask me that, Kevin? Well, I don't know. I think we talked about it in the pregame. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Um, three things, the fact that these in the overall scheme of things aren't that large, I think speaks to the fact that this team is actually in pretty good shape, as good a shape as it needs to be to make a, a run in the postseason. Not sure about that, but, but I, they're pretty good across the board from a starting perspective. I would say the the biggest issue from a starting perspective would be receiver, um, you know, the fact that Noah Brown, who has been a receiving afterthought his first four years in the league, five seasons in the league, now is the unquestioned starter opposite of C.D. Lamb. Um, I think that's a little puzzling and disturbing. Uh, yeah. It speaks to, you know, Michael Gallup will be back sooner rather than later. But even when Michael Gallup comes back, which I think most likely you're saying probably – Optimistically, I think the Cowboys hope that's around week three or week four. Um, he's coming off an ACL injury. That's not going to be the the Michael Gallup of a peak form. It's going to take him a while to play his way back to the level that he was when he suffered that injury. But, you know, I, I think just that decline in the receiving core and, and the veteran they brought in, James Washington, to be heard in the first padded practice. And, and there's no way he even joins this rotation until mid-October. I, I think that uh, the Cowboys are still going to be watching the waiver wire here over the next 10 days 
to see if another club lets go of a receiver. Or, you know, I, I think they can look at Dallas does have several positions of depth. And who would have thought we would have said this? And have we ever said this at any point over the last 10 years? Those positions of depth are all on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I can see moving maybe a, a defensive lineman or someone for a, a wide receiver if another team has a, a need in an area. So I would say either a trade, uh, watching the waiver wire, or signing one of the wide receivers who is still on the free agent market, like an Emmanuel Sanders, a Will Fuller, I, I think would be the two prime examples there. I think that's still something that's under consideration here because we haven't seen a lot of consistency from that young, uh, unproven group yet. Two, I would say backup swing tackle. Um, I think uh, Josh Ball has had a lot of time these first two games, uh, has, has really struggled. Uh, you know, in the past, this team has gone a veteran backup swing tackle because they hadn't developed any young players. Uh, they're desperately trying to develop some young depth there. I don't know that they feel good enough about it right now where you can ignore that position. So I think that's something else that they have to look at going uh, before the, the regular season starts in, wow, I think it's 20 days now. Uh, and three, you still have to resolve kicker. Um, but I think now with uh, Liram Haralahu and Brett Maher, I think one of these two guys they will be comfortable with going into the season. Uh, but you still need to resolve who it's going to be. So in my mind, those are the three biggest questions as they break the California portion of camp and come back to Frisco. Why is it that you suppose that they are so have been so resistant to adding to the wide receiver core after losing so many guys? And I, I know they signed James Washington, and so, yes, okay, you did do that. But then he got hurt so early and he was going to be out. It just kind of seemed like, well, let's let's go ahead and, and, and add a guy here. It just it, it feels like a little bit what the Rangers did to open the season. It's like, yeah, we know we're short in the rotation. We're short in the bullpen. But, you know, we're going to get some guys back a little later on in the season, and it'll be okay. We'll just get through this. And then it was a disaster. So I, I wonder, this just feels like the same kind of thing developing all over again with the Cowboys. Well, their sense is, right or wrong, their sense is, let's give all of these snaps in camp to the young players, allow them to develop, and then as camp nears an end, we will have a larger sample size to project, okay, this guy can help us in the first five to six weeks of the season. This guy is incapable of helping us in the first five to six weeks of the season. And then the belief is if you get a veteran receiver and plug in, the fact they weren't in your camp is really minimized. If they've been in the league, they know routes, they know how to react to defenses, you're farther ahead. And to, to give an example of that, now it's an extreme example because I think he's one of the better receivers in the league, but Amari Cooper. Uh, if you go back to that year, how the pass offense was struggling then, they bring Amari Cooper in midseason, and he immediately has an immediate rapport with Dak Prescott, and, and it takes off right away. Uh, not saying they will duplicate that, and they're certainly not going to get – they're certainly not going to add another receiver as good as Amari Cooper was when they added him uh, several years ago. But I think there's the sense of, um, you know, if if we brought a Emmanuel Sanders or Will Fuller, who are both getting over injuries in the offseason in um, – it would just eat away from the snaps we're giving these other guys. This just gives us a better handle on exactly where they are. And the other issue here is 
you don't want a big splashy move at wide receiver because you will have Gallup coming back. Uh, you like Jalen Tolbert to develop going forward. So you don't want to spend a lot of money at that position. You're really looking at a short-term fix because you feel your receiver core is going to be better in the second half of the season than the first. So how much do you want to invest time-wise and how much do you want to invest financially in a receiver who in a lot of ways is just a placeholder? Now, all of that being said, sometimes – you stumble into something who's really going to help you more than you thought he would. And that's where I, I don't think they should dismiss this and just go, oh, well, let's just get a guy or get our second or third option because it's a short-term thing. So I, I think this is still uh, an area of need for them going into the season, no question. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You, you, know, you talked about them giving the young guys all this time in, uh, in both in the games and in the scrimmages and in the practices. Have you seen them make that kind of progress? Well, I, I think if I were the Cowboys, I'd be concerned with the fact that these receivers look better in practice than they've looked in the first two preseason games. Uh, Jalen Tolbert's had some really nice practices, but in each of these preseason games, uh, you know, the first one, they went to him seven times. I think he caught two balls for 10 yards. Uh, this last game, he had a chance to score a touchdown in the back of the end zone and did a very poor job of keeping his feet in play and gave away a touchdown on what should have been when it was crowded, but it was a it was an NFL play that NFL receivers make pretty consistently. So you're seeing his inconsistency, and, and much like Michael Gallup in his first season, you could see he was really going to help the team, but it was inconsistent, and his confidence was kind of up and down there early in the season. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, reminds me a little bit of that right now and so now suddenly clearly your second best receiver is Noah Brown who has never been anything but an afterthought and and again the, the fact this guy goes and again he's looked very very good in practices uh he's looked good in the scrimmages too but we haven't seen him produce in a game when he's actually called on as a starting receiver uh, down in and down out. So I'd be a little concerned about that as well. So I, I think I don't think they've seen enough there where they should feel good about that position going into the season. Now, that being said, you can adapt in other ways, right? You can, uh, you can be more of a run team. I think they're very good at tight end. You just get the tight ends involved more. We've been talking about how do you get Tony Pollard involved more, involve him more in the, in the passing game. Uh, you have, uh, you know, Kevante Turpin, uh, who two outstanding returns, but has also shown you a little something at receiver. I mean, I, I think you can make it work and scheme some things up, but it's, it's not an ideal position for them going into this regular season at the moment. Speaking of Turpin, uh, they used him also in that jet sweep. I know that used to be yeah. something they really liked to do. Uh, and obviously you want that guy to be pretty fast and pretty quick and nifty. It would seem that would play right into his hands, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, even on that play, talking to Stephen Jones after the, the preseason game, uh, he specifically brought up the jet sweep and he said, you know, he did a really good job of setting that up. And really that was without his speed and without him showing the patience to set that up, that would have been like a, a two yard loss instead of a seven yard gain. So they've been running that jet sweep a lot in practice and that's how they will get um, you know, Cavante Turpin involved in the passing game uh, or involved in the offense uh, early in this season, I think. Yeah, it would be interesting to see them be a little more multiple like that. We've talked about that a lot. I don't know why, you know, uh, 
Tony, I mean, uh, Tony Pollard couldn't be a, a Debo Samuel type character. He's not that yeah. size. He's not probably as, as bullish a runner as Debo Samuel is, but certainly he's a very good runner. And that's how they used him at Memphis. You know, yeah. he, he was almost more of a receiver at Memphis than he was a running back. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's been a little frustrating. I, I know it is on fans' part to, to talk about, you know, why aren't they throwing the ball, you know, to Tony Pollard more often? Uh, if you're if you're trying to mix things up a little, and, and certainly that has been uh, one of the strengths, I think, of, of Dak Prescott, and we haven't talked about him at all at this point. But uh, is that he'll throw to anybody if they're open? It's not yeah. like he's, he's he's got a crutch out there. If you if you're if you can prove you can get open on the play. He'll throw you the ball. I would think that that to giving him another option like Tony Pollard or Kevante Turpin or anybody like that is something that he might uh, be able to uh, make something out of. Well, especially early in the season here. And you, you talk about getting the ball to Pollard as a receiver out of the backfield. Haven't we all seen enough of what Ezekiel Elliott's going to give you on that check down play out of the backfield? Do, yeah. do two backs, two wide receivers – two tight end sets with Jake Ferguson, the fourth-round pick, who's looked very good here in training camp. And I think the the possibility of these two tight end sets with Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson uh, give you two really good receivers, uh, which you can offset some of your loss at wide receiver there by doing that. But, you know, in, in the scrimmage, they've talked about it before. We haven't seen it much. But in the scrimmage against the Chargers last week, uh, there were several sets where they worked Tony Pollard out of the slot and he was the slot receiver. And when you talk about this team, there are two players on this team that have been assigned a position coach because they because in the meetings, they're going to two separate meetings. One is Micah Parsons. He has like a, 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 a basically a coach assigned to him because he's in the defensive line room and also the linebacker room. Uh, so whichever room he's not in, you know, it's kind of like, okay, here's what they did here today to acquaint to him. And Tony Pollard's the other. Tony Pollard has a guy because Pollard now goes between the wide receiver room and the running back room. So for everyone who has decried why Tony Pollard hasn't got more touches and how this offense has done a poor job of giving him more opportunities, I do think the climate has changed here. And the fact that they are so shorthanded at receiver early, I think will force them into getting Tony Pollard more involved, especially in this first month, five weeks of the regular season. Yeah, we like to think about that, don't we? You know, uh, necessity, the mother of invention yeah. or something like that. Uh, well, you saw it with Micah Parsons last year. You know, they, they always intended to rush him from the edge, but they weren't going to do it as much as they did. And if Demarcus Lawrence hadn't gone down in the first game – and they hadn't decided this is a good matchup at right tackle for us in game two against the Chargers. Let's just rush Micah Parsons at defensive end the whole game. No one will see this coming. If he hadn't had the game he had, if Demarcus Lawrence hadn't been out, they wouldn't have done that. And the whole course of Micah Parsons' rookie season, how they use him, would have been different. So I, I think in some ways that, that could apply here to Tony Pollard and how this season unfolds. All right, we've only got about a minute left, but we want to talk about Dak Prescott's uh, progression this uh, training camp. Stephen Jones said it's the best training camp he's had yet, which was an interesting comment to me, considering that if you're not at training camp, you you don't really see that uh, in, when he's gotten on the field. Uh, it doesn't look so great. So explain to me how Stephen Jones could say that. Well, I think just his command in the offense, um, 
he is going against the best defense <laughs> that you know he has gone against day in and day out uh, in, in practice here. Um, you know, he, he's throwing the ball so well. He's moving better. You're seeing those run pass options that disappeared from the uh, offense last year because he was coming back off the injury. Uh, those are back in full force in practices. I, I think you're going to see that back to the level it was two to three years ago, not the level it was last year. Uh, but it's just as – I mean, he should be better now. It's just his overall command of the offense. Now, the the weapons – at receiver aren't as good, but he's making the throws and getting the the ball to the players. Uh, they're the ones who need to step up and make the plays. But even when they don't, he I mean, he's just how he works with them, how the, the spe- extra time he spends with all these young guys, uh, how positive he remains. Um, I think it's just growing more comfortable in the system. And he was, in a lot of ways, he was the unquestioned leader and, and showed uh, special leadership qualities uh, as a rookie. I mean, this was one guy that would would plan to lift weights with different position groups so he could get to know all of those guys because he knows that's how you get to know your teammates working out with them, uh, which you haven't seen a lot of other quarterbacks do. So, I mean, he, he's gotten the whole leadership thing from the start. Um, but now just the shape he's in, his approach to the job, uh, he has a little bit more velocity on the ball uh, than, than I think he's ever had before. And uh, the decision-making is, is quicker and more decisive than it has been in the past. All of that being said, I don't think the offense has looked all that good coming out of this camp. Uh, but I think that's basically because of the receivers. I think it's also basically because they're working in some young players in the offensive line. And they're emphasizing the run game more than they have in the past. And I think there's some growing pains with that. All right. Well, we'll see what they do uh, this weekend uh, against the, the Seahawks and uh, in the scrimmages and uh, and then obviously the preseason game. We're going to be making predictions about this uh, franchise and what it's going to do this year. Now, I've always been a, David and I have always been on the optimistic end of the uh, Cowboys uh, uh, preseason predictions. I always like okay. to give you know, these guys the benefit of the doubt until they screw up and show me, prove me to be wrong. Uh, I also like to go back and say that when fans say you're so negative, you're always so negative all the time. I said, look, I, I picked him to go 11 and six. I mean, what was negative about that? Uh, so anyway, we'll see what they do, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch how this all develops and it'll be interesting to watch how the Rangers move forward as well. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in with us next week. We'll have even more stuff to talk about and, and maybe we'll even do some news uh, gathering and find out if the the Rangers are going to hire themselves a new manager. Hey, Evan. So anyway, from everybody in here. Get to work on that, will you? We'll find out. Get out. Get to work on that. That'd be great. All right. All right. See ya. <laughs>